Okay, let's pray together. Father, we ask that you'd be with us now as we look at your word and we pray that you would teach us and humble us beneath it and encourage us and strengthen us by it. Help us to obey you in these things that we'll look at today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, good morning. Hey, guys. Hi. Did you rip off that terrible insert? I heard it. You tore it. Okay. Well, today we are moving into chapter 5. Well, we've already been in chapter 5. As a matter of fact, uh, last week, uh, Ben Salser taught on the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, and we saw at the beginning of chapter 5 in the first two verses... He begins to, the Apostle Paul begins to instruct Timothy and the church about how to deal with various categories of people in the church, all right? And you remember this from last week. He says in verse 1, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So what's striking about those two verses? The church is your what? It is your family, right? All of the words there, all these relationships, all of these are to be treated as family, fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters. Remember what he said back in chapter three when he talks about the church and the identity and the role of the church. He says in chapter three, fifteen, the church is the household of God, the household of God. And so, of course, that's our relationships with one another, brother, father, sister, mother, And we've been adopted into this great big family. We must relate to one another as members of a family together. And now starting in chapter 5, verse 3 today, he starts to give instructions about how to handle a particular category of people in the church, and the category is widows. And this idea of the church being family is continuing on in this passage, okay? And we'll see how that works in just a second. Uh, Notice as we're going to read this section... I'm going to break it up into two slides. Starting in chapter 5, verse 3, he starts to give instructions about how to handle these widows. But as we read this section, notice that not every widow is a true widow, or as this translation says, a widow indeed. In other words, a true widow. There's a difference between older widows and younger widows. And the widow's extended family situation is hugely relevant to how the church is to work with her, okay? So just keep your eyes open for those things and let's read it. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. 
but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that it it may assist those who are widows indeed. Now, as we read this passage, it would be easy uh, to kind of fall into this mindset that this is a relic uh, of a bygone age, right? I mean, think about this. Uh, how does this apply to us today? We have, we have uh, Medicare and nursing homes and pensions and Social Security and um, life insurance, right? Thankfully, I don't have to think about my parents and my grandparents. Somebody else is going to take care of them when they get old. I have enough to worry about myself. So why do I have to think about that? Thankfully, this is an interesting artifact that we can just kind of roll over and get onto something actually interesting, okay? The truth is, this passage is perfectly relevant to us today, and as a matter of fact, the details, this is the big important thing. We're going to look at the details, but the details of this passage are built on huge underlying assumptions that teach us deep truths about what it means to be religious, what it means to be a man or a woman, what it means, ultimately, what it means to be a Christian. If you think this passage doesn't have anything for you or for us in our advanced age or whatever, our modern context, you have another thing coming, and I hope that'll be clear to us. Let's look at these verses. He starts, this whole the-, the thesis statement for this whole section is this line right here, honor widows who are widows indeed, verse three. Honor widows who are widows indeed. That's the bottom line, all right? There's a command to honor widows. Now, this word widows is a loaded, I mean, sorry, the word honor is a loaded term, all right? We should, it should make us all immediately think of what? Okay, but we're not talking about kings. What are we talking about? Honor your father and mother. So we should all immediately think commandment of God, law of God, Ten Commandments, fifth commandment, right? Honor your father and mother. Yeah, that's exactly what we should think. Uh, We'll see why that's significant in a minute. What does this word honor mean? This means to regard with respect, right? That's what we think of when we think of honor. But here, it's more than just an attitude of how we think about people, okay? It also has to do with what? What do you think? Context, what do you think he's talking about? Come on. What kind of honor? Hmm? Money. 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 That's the whole context, isn't it? Next week, 
we'll see the same word in 1 Timothy 5.17 where it says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. This is not just an attitude or just kind of a, oh, a word. It is, it is talking about money. All right, we'll see that next week with elders. But here it is. Obviously, in this context, he's talking about money, financial support. And so he's commanding the church to honor or to financially support widows. But not all widows, right? It's widows who are what? Widows indeed, or true widows, real widows, honest-to-goodness widows. And he's going to tell us who they are in just a second. But he goes on, honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they, the children or grandchildren, right, must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. And so the church must financially care for true widows, but the church is not the front line of support. Who's the front line of support? The family, in particular, children, but not just children, children and grandchildren. So it's, it expands a generation, all right? If anybody has children or grandchildren, notice, uh, yeah, it's not just children, but also grandchildren. And so he's clearly talking about children and grandchildren supporting their widowed mothers and grandmothers. But look at the two ways that he describes this, all right? He describes this in two ways. If any widow has children or grandchildren, they, that's the children or grandchildren, must first, number one, learn to practice piety in regard to their own family, and number two, to make some return to their parents. All right? So number one, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their family. Number two, make some return to their parents. The meaning of that second one is easy to understand, isn't it? They must make some return to their parents. What is he talking about? Hmm? He's talking about money. <laughs> and not just money, care, time, uh, help, support. Think of all the blood, toil, tears, and sweat that your parents poured into you, let alone the money. The money is like the nothing. It's the, right? Compared to the blood and the toil and the tears and the sweat. <laughs> right? Money is nothing compared to all of that. So it's only reasonable that you should make some return to them, that you should take care of them just like they took care of you. You see that? He says it's just, it's just reasonable, of course. But what about the first description of this duty to take care of the widows and the family? He says they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family. What does that mean? What does it mean to practice piety in regard to your own family? What does piety mean? Now, piety is one of those weird words. We don't use it very much. When we do use it, we use it kind of in a very narrow context. Uh, if we use it at all in a positive sense, because very often it's used in a negative sense, okay? If we use it in a positive sense, we mean something like spirituality, right? Uh, a pious man, we would say, in a, neg in a positive sense, is a man who is reverent to God, he's prayerful, he comes to church, he doesn't kick the dog, you know, he's a pious man. Today, pie piety 
is a nebulous, esoteric kind of warm glow word, a feeling uh, of devotion kind of word, right? Or, of course, it's used almost entirely, really in a negative way, sanctimonious, self-righteous, holier-than-thou, hypocritical. That's, that's a major way that we use the word pious. Oh, he's just, that's just a bunch of pious hogwash, right? You all with me? What does it mean here in verse four? It is definitely a religious word. Okay, this word is a religious word. When the Apostle Paul goes to um, Athens in in, uh, Acts 17, you remember the story? He's on Mount uh, Mars Hill, I guess it's called. And he says to them, you know, men of Athens, I see that you're very religious. Remember that? This is the word. This is the word. It has, it has religious connotations. Okay? But how is he using it here? Um, he says you must practice piety in regard to your own family. Does that mean worship your family? No. not doesn't mean worship your family. This is piety in the old big, broad sense of the word, okay? In the Roman world, everyone who, who heard, who read this and heard Paul read this or heard, heard Timothy read this, everyone in the Roman world, piety was devotion to all of your responsibilities, all of them, to the gods in the pagan Roman world, to your country and to your parents. These were inseparable. You can't separate them. Here, uh, it means basically the same thing that, the Romans meant by it, but stripped of its paganism, all right, not the gods, but the true God, but certainly your family. It means not just a warm feeling of devotion to God, it is devotion to God that embraces outward duties, including your outward duties to your parents, all right? It is impossible to divorce our duty towards God from our duty to our parents. These things, to, to separate those things is just... Impossible to comprehend in in this biblical view of the world. It's impossible to honor God if you refuse to honor your parents. Completely inseparable. You remember what Jesus says to the Pharisees? I think it's in Matthew 15. Here we go. Remember this passage? The Pharisees, let's read it. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. Whatever I, all the money that I, that I would have given to you I'm very pious, so I gave it to God, right? He is, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition, right? In other words, how can, <laughs> to say I'm honoring God 
by refusing to honor my parents, right? That's what, that's what they're doing. But they clothe it in a false kind of piety and they get off the hook. I don't have to take care of my parents. I gave all that money to God. Because of course it's not just money, is it? It's time. It's sweat. It's toil. It's all the things they gave to you when you were a kid. Now you've got to turn around and give it to them. But you don't have to do that. Uh, I give to missions. I'm too busy in the church to take care of my parents, my mother, or my grandmother, right? Uh You know, I think initially one of the greatest shocks that I got in the pastorate was to visit older ladies in the hospital, Mm -hmm. and they'd be crying uncontrollably. Yeah. 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 So Richard, as a pastor, he said this is a, when he would go visit old women in the hospital, widows, and they're crying and they're distressed because they know as they're sitting in the hospital, their children are stealing all their money or just refusing to care for them. Have, how many of you have been to nursing homes? Who, what is, nursing homes are filled with people whose children have abandoned them there, right? Right? Okay. Now we're going to see the incredible significance of this in just more in a minute. Let's keep going. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow is a children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family. Piety, religion, can't separate this from from your relationship with God, and also to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now that word acceptable, this is the reason for doing this, right? This is acceptable in the sight of God. Now that word acceptable is kind of a flat translation, right? If someone says, if you've done work and you've worked hard and someone says, that work was acceptable, you know, they don't do uh, they don't do report in report cards now with children. They've got, gotten away in some schools from a you know a b c d f. Now it's things like needs improvement or satisfactory, and satisfactory is a C, right? I mean, that's just like okay, you've kind of met the minimum requirements. That's what this word feels like, isn't it? But that's not what the word means. Okay. A better translation would be pleasing. Not just this is acceptable. This is pleasing to God. When for you to practice piety, for us to practice piety in regards to our own family and to make some return to our parents and to care for them, honor them with our money and our time and our stuff, okay, pleases God. It pleases him. Now, open up that more in a moment. Let's go into verse five. 
In verses five and six, he begins to build a contrast between those women who are true widows, widows indeed, and therefore worthy of the church's support, and women who are not true widows and are not worthy of the church's support. Verse five, now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day, but she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Again, two different kinds of widow. There's a fundamental difference here. It's not just circumstance of life. They're both widows, but it's character. Okay? The kind of widow who is worthy to be cared for by the church is a woman who has been left alone. She has no family to care for her, so that's, that's one trait. But there's more to it than that. She also has this character. She has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. She's that kind of widow. Not just left alone, but she has fixed her hope on God and prays night and day. But the widow who is not worthy to be cared for by the church gives herself to wanton pleasure and is dead even while she lives. Now, in a few verses, we're going to see what that means. But he's, again, just setting up this contrast. Some widows are widows indeed, others are not and should not be cared for. And it's not just the fact that they're widows. It's character. Okay? It's godliness. Keep going. Verse 7. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so here Paul tells Timothy to prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. Now this word prescribe means command. It's what your doctor does, right? Prescribe. He, he gives authoritative instructions that need to be carried out. That's what the word means, prescribe. Make sure they do this. And so Timothy must authoritatively teach these things so that they may be above reproach. You see that? Well, who's the they? Who, who are the they here? Which Christians? Which ones? <laughs> okay. He's not talking about the widows. He's talking about the children and grandchildren of the widows. Okay? That's who he's talking about here with, with prescribe and teach these things so that they, the, the, the children and grandchildren, will be above reproach. He's going back to what he said in verse 4, where he says, if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. Then he brings this heavy judgment on anyone who will rebel against God by refusing to care for his widows. Verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now listen, that is intense. That is amazingly intense. Eric? What do you mean? In the, in the medieval monk monastery system, 
they're, they're doing what the Pharisees would have been guilty of. They, they embrace a tradition of man that keeps them, that makes them feel and, and seem more religious to everybody else, but keeps them from doing these basic duties of piety towards their parents. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's less common today than it used to be, but it's still there. And I'm sure we have our own version of this. Um, think about this. The man who does not provide for his own family, he has what? Hmm? Denied the faith. What is, what's the word for that? What is he? He's an apostate. Not because he doesn't believe in the Trinity. Right? Not because he's denied the virgin birth. Not because he's, you know, gone off the deep end in some liberal theology. I mean, all those things would be true. But in this case, it's because of what he has failed to do. You see, that's what it says, right? Everyone? That's what it says. He is, in fact, worse than an unbeliever. How can this be worse than an unbeliever? Yeah, I feel this thing is weird. I don't know what's going on with it. I hear it popping. Can you hear that? Say it again. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. To whom much is given, much will be required. But even the pagans, even the pagans know how to do this. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians about the incest situation, the, the man who has his father's wife? Even the pagans would be scandalized by that. And here it is being glorified in the church. Even the pagans know to take care of their parents. <laughs> right? That's the, that's the point. So, to, to, so for a Christian to deny this, to reject, you know, to fail to do this is worse than an unbeliever. He has denied the faith. The Apostle Paul assumes a basic fact that God built into the world that even pagans know. What is that fact? Men are to provide for their families. Not just their wives and children, but also their parents and grandparents. It's a basic fact that God has built into the world. That is what God made them to do, not as humans or persons, but as men, as males. That is what God put Adam in the garden to do. He must cultivate and keep the garden. All right? Again, this is one of these this issue of piety, number one, being not just a private devotion to God, but how you actually care for your family, right? That's this huge underlying idea that we have no clue about. The idea that men are made by God to take care of their family, and if they refuse to do so, they are denying God and are worse than an unbeliever and are an apostate. That's something we've thrown off today, right? Even in the church. When Adam rebelled against God and he listened to his wife, God's curse, remember, was appropriate to Adam's work. It, the curse, the curses on both sides, the curse to Eve, on Eve, woman, and the curse to Adam, was appropriate to their main purpose and main work. 
It wasn't some little ancillary side thing that you can decide whether or not you're going to feel the weight of this curse or not because, I don't know, I don't, it's not going to have children. Okay? It was, it was laid on them at the center of their identity as man and woman. You, you following me? It, for the woman, it's what? And, and you'll have pain in childbearing. What is it for men? You'll have pain in your work of providing right? Are you all with me? These are the, that teaches, that helps to teach us the basic role of man and woman, all right? And so remember, this is the work that God made men to do, to provide for your family. Remember 1 Timothy 5.8, this verse has a parallel earlier in the book that we've already looked at. Remember this? And that was 1 Timothy 2.15. But women will be preserved, literally the word is saved, the same word that's used for salvation in the spiritual sense all across the New Testament. Women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. This is exactly the, these things are parallel. One for women, generally, one for men, generally. For a man to refuse his sex by not caring for and providing for his family is, is this man a Christian? Are you going to want to say to this guy who's sitting to you, sitting, sitting in front of you and telling you, you know what? Yep, I've got a widow, my mother, my grandmother. I just, I just can't be bothered by that. Not gonna, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Okay? And are you, and you going to call that man a brother? Are you? I'm getting his blank looks. No. Now, we're all on board with that, right? I mean, it's hard, I know. And it all has implications for us personally, if you're a child or a grandchild, <laughs> okay? Which is, I think, everybody. Pretty sure. <laughs> so, yeah, this has implications for us, and it's heavy. And it, we better take this seriously, all right? So, but the same thing is true here. It's easy to say, oh yeah, that man should provide for his family. But then we go back to 1 Timothy 2 and we're like, I don't know, I have no idea what that means. That just, I, we have no ability, I, who knows what that, it, it can't mean what it says. That's the one thing we know it can't mean. Okay, but they're parallel. The, the big picture is God made you a man or a woman. And your sex matters to God. He made you man or woman. Your sex determines your work in this world. If you think you're being godly by throwing off or denying your sex, either as a man or a woman, then you're, in in fact, you're just rejecting God. You're rebelling against God. You're going against the God who made the world and everything in it, including you. That is the heart of apostasy. It's the heart of rebellion. It's not just the little doctrinal positions that you hold, Okay, 
You can be perfectly orthodox in your profession of the Christian faith and deny the faith. The faith. People often say these things, this isn't, these aren't gospel issues. You shouldn't be all uptight about this. These are secondary little things that, oh, come and go with culture and no one really should be uptight about this. This isn't a gospel issue. Is this a gospel issue? Is this a gospel issue? I mean, come on. Are we going to believe the Bible and submit to it? Or are we going to put it on the chopping block and get to work? You know? Yep. What if you've never had kids and you're beyond that? Well, obviously, okay, and I said this earlier in the, when I talked about that, this, that passage. This, these are general statements that are generally true. A man who is a paraplegic is not going to hell because he can't get up and go to work in the morning. Right? A woman who, because of the circumstances of her life, have, has not had children, either because she's not married or infertile or whatever, these are, those are the exceptions that prove the rule. It, that doesn't deny that this is what God made men to be and made women to be. And there are ways for you to do that in your life as you are now, right? And you've, if we're going to talk about you, because <laughs> I guess we are talking about you, right? This, is, this, is, this isn't the hand of God. Again, this is, this is not a, this, we're talking big picture cosmic realities here. The details have to be thought about in particular. And, and so don't get wonky. Yeah. In other words, you have used your life to care for children. And everybody in this community knows that. Okay. So keep it up. And thank you. Yeah. Yes. R- remember... Remember where we started, and maybe you weren't in here. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 talks about the older women in the church are mothers, the younger women are sisters, the fathers, brothers. This is the family of God. This is the household. Okay, so there's, um, man, we got to hurry. Yes. Can we just can we just move through the text real quick, and maybe we'll answer that. But we've got to go because it's like, <laughs> okay. There are sex-specific uh, duties of godliness. All right, the Apostle Paul stands on that reality as he goes on to describe these widows. Which widows are to be cared for by the church? A widow is to be put on the list only. If she is not less than 60 years old, so here's the list of requirements, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. There's the list of requirements for placing um, widows on the list. There's a list with names on it. There are 
there's some names that aren't on the list and there are names that are on the list, right? This is an objective standard. And, there, and you see the standard, right? It has to do with age and character and history. And I don't have time to look at each one of these. This is feminine piety, okay? This is feminine piety. And then he says, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they've set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So there are certain widows who may not be put on the list. They must be refused, he says. These, clearly, these widows don't meet the requirements of verses 9 and 10 that we just looked at. Why? Well, first of all, they're what? Younger. They're not over 60. They're not, uh, which means... Okay, you ready for this? If you're not over 60, you're marriageable. All right. Secondly, since they are in fact marriageable, they want to do what? Get married. They want to get married because they're marriageable. And in wanting to get married, he says they incur condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. Now, what does that mean? It does not mean that getting married is wrong because he's going to tell them to get married, okay? So it's, he's not saying if you want to get married, you're a sinner. Apparently, when a worthy widow went on this list of widows to be cared for by the church, she made a pledge. There was, this was a two-way street. She actually made a pledge, a commitment, a vow of continued celibacy and service to the church, all right? And if a younger widow made that vow, she would be prone to break it because she wants to get married. And if she did break that vow, she would incur condemnation. So vows are to be taken seriously. And so, and there are more reasons to refuse younger widows the place on the list. He says, at the same time, they also learn to be idle, versus verse 13, as they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. So it seems like these widows who are cared for by the church were given work to do, all right? There's a pledge that's a two-way street. We're gonna care for you, but here's what you must do. And it seems like that work had something to do with going house to house. So visiting people, caring for people. That's why she has to have a, um, this history of being the kind of woman who cares for people, right? You saw that? And so if you put these younger widows on the list, they're going to be in people's homes. Maybe they're visiting the sick. Maybe they're visiting the elderly, whatever. They're going to be in people's homes. What happens when this kind of younger widow, who really is young enough to remarry and have her own household, is given the freedom to not have her own household? Well, this is what happens. They learn to be idle. They're not doing work that they should be doing. They're going around from house to house, and they are learning, instead of being useful, they learn to be idle, gossips, busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. 
Okay, can you understand a scenario where that would be the case? Right? So what are they, what does he want them to do? Therefore, I want younger widows to get married. Now again, this is a, this is like a snapshot of a huge reality that's underlying all of scripture. All right? I want older, I want younger widows to get married. To do what? Bear children. And to do what? Oh. Keep house. Now, by the way, keep house doesn't mean get the feather duster and wash the, you know. It's a bigger concept than washing the socks and the dishes and making dinner. All right? This is a, this, again, this is something we are so stupid about. This is a huge concept. Proverbs 31 tells you, women, what it means to keep house. All right? It means to be industrious, hardworking, thrifty, and creating a household. That word, actually, keep house, um, is one word in Greek, and it means a rough, you know, kind of a crude translation of that word is house despot. House despot. Be a house despot. <laughs> now all of this all is under the understanding that man is the head of the household. But the woman is, is she's got work to do and has authority in the home as she leads. This is what you read in Proverbs 31. Right? She's making business. She's making financial decisions. She's making sure that her, her maids and her children are well cared for. She's working for the household. She's not the CEO of, the, uh, of Microsoft. She's not a lawyer. She's working for the sake of the household. All right. And to give, no, uh, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. This is feminine godliness. At the heart of feminine godliness, and I make no, no apology for this. I, j- I was joking about the keep house thing. I really make no apology for this. This is what the Bible teaches. At the heart of feminine piety is getting married, bearing children, and keeping house. And if these young women don't do those things, what? What will happen? The enemy will have occasion to reproach. Now, we are, we are so flipped over and upside down and backwards that if you do these things, you give the enemy an occasion to reproach. How twisted is that? And we buy it. Oh, you're one of those women who got married and had children and <laughs> keeps house. Right? Oh, there's a, this is a church that teaches that women should get married and bear children and keep house. You understand? But that's not that kind of reproach we should scoff at because we see how, how godless it is. Don't let that touch you. All right. 
As a matter of fact, some of these widows, this is such a strong reality. How does he describe those who have gone off the rails and not done these things? They've turned aside to follow Satan. Now listen, folks. Don't be, don't get all wobbly. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. Don't let the godless culture teach you what you should be ashamed about. Because it's the opposite of what you should be ashamed about. Directly. All right. Verse 16 is the end, and we're done. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. This understands that the the day-to-day work of caring for the widows is going to fall on who? It's going to fall on the women. Right? The men are going to provide the money, but of course it's going to fall on the women. Any of you have known this, if you've cared for an elderly person in your home, if it's a woman, the woman is going to care for her. Okay. So, Wasn't that fun? Big architectonic kind of plates moving underneath all of this stuff. Big, big, big stuff. What it means to be a Christian. What it means to deny the faith. What it means to be a man. What it means to be a woman. What piety is. And then there's the details. We don't want to miss either of them. All right? So think hard about this in regards to your own family. Let's, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would have mercy on us. Uh, give us repentance and faith for these commands and these instructions. Let us not be um, uh, deceived and rebellious against you. Please have mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.